Parliament unanimously passed Bill C-4, the supposed ban on conversion therapy, but this clunky bill with broad definitions not only hampers free speech, it could also dangerously enable a radical ideology that tells children that gender does not exist. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Now, as you know from listening to the show and tuning into True North, I wasn't very happy to see all of Parliament come together to ban this bill. First of all, the role of the opposition is to oppose. So if the Liberals introduce a bill, the Conservatives are there to point out the reasons why the bill is flawed and try to push back. In fact, the previous two times that this bill was introduced, the Conservatives came up with a handful of reasons why they didn't support this bill. The definitions were too broad. It could needlessly criminalize conversations between children and their parents. And yet, when the bill was reintroduced, the Conservatives threw away all of their complaints and issues with the bill, and they all unanimously supported this bill. We saw a silly image in the House of Commons of all of the MPs jumping up and down, cheering, congratulating themselves, glad-handing, hugging each other, and dancing. They were so happy that they passed this bill, which, which was really never explained to the Canadian public the way that the media talked about it. It seemed like you know, this this was such an obvious situation that we had to ban this bill. Um, but my guest on the show today, um, like me, has some issues and some concerns with this bill, and we wanted to go into it in a bit more depth. So I'm very pleased today to be joined by Dr. Deborah So. Deborah So is a sex neurologist, author, journalist, political commentator, and the host of the Deborah So podcast. She writes about the science of human sexuality, cultural politics, and academic censorship. She's appeared on The Megan Kelly Show, Real Time with Bill Maher, The Joe Rogan Experience, and The Ben Shapiro Show, some of the biggest uh, podcasts and shows in the world. In her recent book, The End of Gender, Dr. So challenges the notion that gender is a social construct and a spectrum. And she challenges the idea that there is no difference between how male and female brains operate. So Dr. Deborah So, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Hi, Candace. Thank you for having me. So, so when this bill passed in Parliament, you told True North that it would have a chilling message. It sends a chilling message. I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit and, and explain to us why you also opposed this bill. Sure. So I think at best it is a well-intentioned move, but it is anti-scientific in that it does not differentiate between sexual orientation and gender identity. It treats the two as though they are the same thing, even though they are different. So conversion therapy for sexual orientation, I do not support because it does not work. Sexual orientation is biological. It's immutable. It cannot be changed. So someone who's gay or bisexual cannot be made to be straight. Gender identity is different from sexual orientation in that it can change over the lifespan, particularly in young children. So it's not appropriate to criminalize therapeutic interventions that are not affirmation or any questioning on the part of a clinician to try and understand someone's feeling of gender dysphoria. So gender dysphoria is when someone feels more like the opposite sex than their birth sex. If someone says that they want to transition, it's important for a clinician to be able to understand really why. And I don't do clinical work anymore, but my colleagues who are still in the field are definitely terrified and they really feel like they're not able to do their jobs properly. They're not able to interrogate their patients. Obviously you would do it in a way that is very sensitive and, and appropriate to, the, to your patient. But the fact that that's completely been taken off the table is very worrisome 
And so as a result, I do think there's going to be an increase of detransitioners in the future. So these are people who transition, realize that it doesn't make them feel better, and then they go back to living as their birth sex. Sometimes they have permanent side effects of the interventions that they've undergone. And that's another part of the conversation that no one seems to want to really talk about as well. Well, so it's funny that you say that you think that this bill was well-intentioned. And I think that most people, when they hear the term conversion therapy, their minds go to, I remember there was one movie from the 1990s um, called But I'm a Cheerleader. And it was this, this sort of really funny um, satirical comedy about this uh, woman who, or this high school girl who uh, her parents thought she was gay. So they sent her to one of these conversion therapy camps. Um, and, and, you know, being around all these other gay kids, she realized that she actually really was gay. And so it had the opposite impact. Um, but, but, but that's sort of what we think about when we think of conversion uh, therapy. But uh, according to the conservative, uh, er, the earlier opposition they had to this bill, it's not just conversion therapy. That, that's sort of a catch-all. Uh, but, but really what it does ban is, is like you said, conversations, therapy, um, you know, some, some of the work, the clinical work that would be done prior to going through such a life-altering um, situation. And I, I know you said that um, gender identity changes over a lifetime, but, but, but sexual orientation does not. Um, but, but even if you were, you know, say you were gay or bisexual, uh, you could still go to therapy. You could still perhaps want to see, seek a therapist or talk to someone at your church or talk to your parents about your sexual orientation. Um, do, do you see anything in this bill that would, that would ban those kinds of conversations that would prevent people from being able to get therapeutic help from a trained professional um, that they would need to and then and then with regards to um, gender identity uh, like what, what would the real impact be what, what, what would um, people who are like would clinical um, specialists would they have to shut down their clinics uh, or is does this bill uh, close down some of these these offices where, where there are trained um, psychologists or, or, or clinical therapists um, how, how would that impact what would that impact look like Right. So with, say, conversion therapy for sexual orientation, also known as reparative therapy, some of those um, treatments in the past were definitely very gruesome and really unethical. Um, it, When I think about the difference between, say, children and adults, I could understand a little bit more. I mean, I'm just generally not a fan of people banning things, but I, I do I understand the approach of wanting to prevent harm against children. So to ban conversion therapy for sexual orientation, that treats children, I'm a little bit more understanding of because kids can't, I mean, if, they're, if their parents are overriding decisions, they may or may not be making the best decision for the child. For adults, it still makes me uncomfortable really if someone wants to seek therapy to change their sexual orientation. Although from my understanding is some of these conversations are not necessarily about change, it's more about how to live with these feelings and not act on them. To which I would still say, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being gay or bisexual myself. I'm straight, but I grew up in the gay community, so I really think acceptance is uh, would be a better approach. But with this bill, um, even adults are not able to seek appropriate treatment with regard to gender identity. So if they're questioning their gender, if they're, you know, the people feel like the opposite sex or they identify more with the opposite sex for a whole number of reasons. And we see, especially in young adults, adolescents who are born female, many of them, their desire to transition and live as male, this comes out of the blue very suddenly for many of them, is driven by many things that don't actually have anything to do with their gender or their sex. So sex refers to biology, gender refers to how you feel about your biological sex. And 
So it's important to be able to get at why someone feels unhappy about being female. So in many cases, these individuals have, say, a history of sexual trauma. Some of them are on the autism spectrum. Some of them are lesbian. So those are important conversations to have. And so now with um, these, any sort of probing from a clinician, that's been criminalized. So they'll face up to five years in prison, potentially, um, is really going to me, I mean, who's who's willing to take that risk? I mean, of people I know in the field, only a very small handful of colleagues are willing to take that risk, and that's because they're close to retirement, and so they really they really don't have much to to lose, or they don't really care at this point. But for newer clinicians, especially in less experienced clinicians, they're they're definitely way too scared. So, I mean, there was one very prominent case of my colleague, Dr. Ken Zucker, who had his clinic shuttered here in Toronto. This was about six years ago. So that was that really set uh, another, I think, precedent for many people in the field to look at someone like him. He's a, a world expert in gender dysphoria in children. And and so people are saying, well, if he's not safe, what chance do I have to be protected? Wow. Uh, so so what do you think, Deborah? What, what do you think the impact will be in terms of so 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 say there's a child who feels gender dysphoria, um, identifies with the other gender, and decides, you know, that they can't, they, they, well, because of this new law, because of this new bill, they can't access the, the th therapy that they may need. They go ahead and transition. You mentioned um, that, that because of this, um, with more people transitioning, that more people will detransition because the, the, the feeling may, be, may change over the, over the lifetime where they realize, like you said earlier, that changing your gender doesn't actually fix the problem because they didn't they didn't talk it through can, can you talk a little bit about this idea of of detransitioning and, and what that looks like right so for those individuals i mean i think it's especially sad because for I, and i do support transitioning adults i always want to, to emphasize that i think especially if a clinician is able to do their job and ask the right questions and make a proper diagnosis and determine whether transition is actually right for someone, I do think it can help people feel better about their gender dysphoria. But what we're seeing in this case with especially the, the young women, they're not being challenged. In many cases, they are affirmed outright. No one is asking them about what else is going on in their lives. And so whatever it is that is actually driving their desire to live as male, or in some cases, non-binary, which is you know a third gender, which from a scientific perspective does not exist. There are two genders, two sexes. And I go into all of the science behind this in my book, The End of Gender. So whatever it is that someone is dealing with, that's still gonna be there after they've transitioned if that's not what's really driving their gender dysphoria. So they're either going to deal with it now with a good therapist in, in an ideal world, or they're gonna wait six months, a year, whenever they're done transitioning and realize that, that they still have these, these other issues that they have to deal with. And then they're gonna detransition and deal with those issues later down the line. And so that's what you see happening with detransitioners. They will say, I have anxiety. I have unresolved feelings about, I mean, I think one common theme is for young women not really liking being sexualized. You know, they go through puberty, their bodies change and they don't appreciate it. suddenly they have men the age of their father or older staring at them in public and, and it makes them uncomfortable understandably and no one is saying to them you know that's a really unfortunate part and some sometimes of being a woman but you know as you get older things will change sometimes you grow comfortable with with the attention that you're getting in some cases and so instead people are saying to these young women 
no problem. You know, if you want to have a double mastectomy, take hormones, some cases, surgeries, they have, they remove their uterus and their ovaries. So they're not able to have a family if they change their mind later. It's really devastating. And the, the other thing that really upsets me is to see that these people are completely ignored for the most part by the mainstream. They're told that they don't exist or they don't matter because people are afraid that talking about detransition uh, and the fact that they exist is going to be used to halt transitioning across the board for everyone. Or some people will say the only reason they detransitioned is because of social pressure and that it's you know socially unacceptable to be transgender. But if you actually talk to them and listen to their stories, you really hear another side to, to um, this narrative that's being promoted. It's, it's, it just sounds like it's so politicized and it seems to me the solution is more conversations and more talking and yet here we have a bill that every parliamentarian agreed on including the senate they just fast-tracked it um to, to say less less conversation which which just seems to be the antithesis of a free uh, society like canada De- deborah I had a question about what we're seeing in other parts of the world so it seems that canada is sort of taking the opposite approach and, and other countries have taken a step back when it comes to concerns about transitioning. Um, Finland last year encouraged um, psychotherapy before transition treatment. Um, Australia and New Zealand uh, recently made psychotherapy mandatory or essential. And clinics in Sweden stopped prescribing puberty blocking drugs and cross-sex hormones to patients under the age of 18. So why why do you think Canada is, is going the opposite direction from these other Western liberal democracies? I'm not sure. You know, I'm very proud to be Canadian. I love my country and I, I don't know why why this is happening. It's really disappointing because I do think the rest of the world is is waking up to this much sooner than we are. And my hope is just that I mean, I, I don't know at this point the bill has just passed. I don't know what more it's going to take, but I do I don't think most people are actually on board with this. I think most people it just feel afraid to speak up about it. They don't want to be called hateful or bigoted or to be called transphobic and especially to see pretty much everyone across the board publicly who speaks on this saying or in the mainstream at least saying that this is a good thing for these kids. I think many people also maybe genuinely believe that. Maybe they think that the science is in support of this, which it is not. but yeah, I did. I'm a bit at a loss for words because it is—it's not a good direction that we're headed in. Let's let's pick up on that. You just said that the science is not on board on this. I know in your book you talk about some of the myths with regards to gender and gender identity. One of the myths that you talk about is the idea that gender is fluid and that you can you can uh, change your gender. You can go back and forth a little bit. Um, can 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 you uh, can you talk a little bit about about that and talk about the science behind it? Sure. So for children with gender dysphoria, the vast majority of them, once they hit puberty, they will desist. So they will no, will no longer feel dysphoric and they're more likely to grow up to be gay in adulthood and not be transgender. Um, but this great, this larger idea about gender fluidity, I think it comes from this idea that most people feel a mix of masculine and feminine. I don't think there are many of us who feel 100% masculine or 100% feminine all of the time. And what I really think the movement is about, these individuals are looking to dismantle norms and deconstruct things. And you see this in all areas of identity with regards to even race, I would say, or I mean, just everything. This is a larger trend we see in academia really being pushed out now into the rest of the world and it's affecting everybody. Doesn't matter where you work or even if you're trying to mind your own business, it's going to impede on your life in some way. 
So the gender fluidity thing, I think it's also people who just really want to be special to some extent and show that they're somehow different from other people. But gender definitely is binary. There are two of them. <laughs> it's not. It's not that complicated. So, so, so okay. So, so there's two genders. Um, it's not that complicated. How how come then we see you know so many people claiming that there's what dozens or even hundreds of gender that, that, that there's infinite numbers of gender. Where where do they get that from? And can you can you just go through the science a little more as to like how do we know that there's only two genders? Sure. So biological sex is determined by gametes. So these are mature reproductive cells. So you have eggs and you have sperm. So sex is binary. It is also not socially constructed, which if it were, that would make absolutely no sense. But some people do claim that it is not. Um, and then with gender, gender refers to, as I mentioned, so sex is bio biological. Gender refers to how we feel in relation to our biological sex. So for 99% of us, our biological sex and our gender identity are in alignment. For that 1% of people who are either transgender or intersex, some intersex people identify as transgender. So intersex people have a combination of both male and female anatomy, but they too prefer to live within the binary because some activists say, oh, intersex people prove that biological sex is a spectrum or gender is a spectrum. Most intersex people actually prefer to live as male or female. They don't want to be considered something in between. And it's actually the activists who are in many cases not intersex themselves who are going out making these proclamations. Uh, I would say the same thing about the trans community. Everyday transgender people are really lovely and many of them reach out to me to thank me for the things I say, which is really a relief for me. So what you have is non-transgender allies, many of whom will identify as one of these exotic genders, you know, that you mentioned there are billions or however many now. And I really think it's just about them trying to get intersectional points and to seem relevant, because if you are just a, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to point to specific identity markers, but it makes someone seem like they have more validity to what they're saying. If they are this, a, a gender that is, <laughs> a gender that is not male, or female, but um, I'm trying to think of anything else in the science I can tell you about that. Well, I, I, I don't wanna be cruel or anything, but when I look through the list, some of them are weird. Like, so I, I don't understand how someone's gender could be gender bender. That's, that, that's one of the listed ones that's recognized in the US. I don't, gender bender. I don't, I don't understand how that's a, how that's a gender, but uh, I, I think like you said, they just, people just wanna be unique and different. And, and it's just like, you know, you can dye your hair and you can do something to make yourself seem more legitimate. Well, you can also claim to have a, a very unique uh, gender and, and, and that might give you some, some points in the intersectional, intersectional community. There were just a final question. So, we're, you know, we're talking about Bill C4. I know it used to be called Bill C6, but this uh, bill to ban conversion therapy, if, 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 you, if you were you know, presenting at committee or you had an opportunity to talk to MPs who drafted this bill or who voted on this bill, what would you advise that they change about it um, so, so that it, it still enables you know, proper and important conversations um, between uh, children that may be uh, feeling gender dysphoric and their clinicians? Or you know, what, 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 what could be changed about this bill to make it something that you would feel comfortable uh, being passed into law? I think that's a really good question. I think gender theory and gender ideology have to be removed entirely. Um, but I, I guess in terms of what's specified within it, I would say definitely clinicians should not be criminalized for, hmm, 
for how they choose to approach therapy. I guess it's difficult to really know because there are some clinicians who could potentially be coming from the perspective of being discriminatory, say, towards transgender people and having that be their motivation for asking particular questions or disincentivizing someone from transition. But in that case, I think it should be really up to the patient and parents to make a determination. Um, I don't, I feel in some ways like, I, I, I understand it's difficult for parents, but I think they should try to really be as involved in the process as well. Like I don't, I, I, I'm torn here because overall I would just say, you know, let the clinicians do what they, let them do their job. And if there are problems there, then treat that on a case by case basis. But this is really not, I mean, my sense with this bill is it's really about trying to appease certain groups I think, I think there's more of a fear of the backlash from certain groups. And when you take this really broad approach, especially when it comes to policy, it's not going to fit particular cases. I don't think in this case, it will necessarily even help most people who are struggling with this. It's such a shame and it's too bad. I, I, I would go even further and say that it's mostly just about virtue signaling and finding the latest sort of fad out there to, to champion that seems to be uh, what the uh, Trudeau government is all about. Well, uh, Dr. Debrousseau, thank you so much for, for joining the program. Thank you for shedding light on this uh, complicated but very important issue. So it's great to have you on the program and uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me back. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Candace Malcolm and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.